This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And Whistle and I are thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we have two guests and our guests are diabetic alert dog trainers and pioneers, Rita Martinez and Dr. Sue Barnes. And they'll be visiting with us today to talk about their work in training diabetic alert dogs. And they're also going to talk with us about the new book that they've just written called Training Your Diabetic Alert Dog. And this is the first book that actually provides step-by-step instructions on how to train diabetic alert dogs. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Rita Martinez and Dr. Barnes to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know... Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have as our guest today Rita Martinez and Dr. Sue Barnes. Hello, Rita and Sue, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Marcy, for having us. Yeah, well, I'm thrilled that you two could be here and so excited about your new book, which is really cutting edge. And, And I have to say, let's start with Rita. Tell us, Rita, how did you get started training dogs to be diabetic alert dogs? Well, my background was scent work dogs for years and years and years and of course it's a fascinating thing and it's somewhat addictive but as a hobby. However, I was busy training service dogs for all sorts of other work and got some requests and inquiries about what would happen. Could they detect diabetes highs and lows? So experimented with it and started turning out dogs about about eight years ago. (laughs) Wow, eight years. It's been that long already because when you think of diabetic alert dogs, it's a new medical alert dog that most people aren't even aware of that dogs have this incredible ability. Yeah, it is quite new, Um, but they have such an ability to do all sorts of things and diabetes is very easy for them. It seems to be a scent that they pick up quickly. Yeah. Well, Sue, tell us, how did you two come together to write the book? 
Well, let's see. Rita and I go back a few years. We started, uh, I started training diabetic alert dogs at Assistance Dogs of the West about five years ago and just on my own trying to figure it out. <laughs> and, it, and it quickly became apparent that we needed a little more guidance. And I found Rita, who came out and did some workshops for us and for other service dog trainers. And from that point, we continued forward in training based on Rita's guidance and we were uh, both thinking, I think, along the same lines of, of writing a book and came together to, to do so um, when we both realized it was a good idea and we could help each other out. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Rita, tell us, how do you train a dog to alert for diabetes? I mean, how does a dog learn to recognize the scent? Well, dogs can recognize any scent that they smell for their entire life. They have a, a huge memory chip up there in their brain. So really all we have to do is imprint them on the scents that we want and tell them what we want them to do when they experience it. So it's much easier than it seems, although then of course it has to be generalized so that they can do it in all settings. So initially just imprinting the scent is the easy part but then getting them through all the rest of it requires some work. Wow. Well, I have to say that I actually met um, someone from an assistance dogs of the West graduate, Sue, just a couple of weeks ago, and her dog, and it was the first time that I had ever spent any time or even met a diabetic alert dog, and I have to say I was blown away by how this dog worked and how it alerted its partner of her blood sugar raising because we had had lunch and it was after lunch and so her blood sugar was raising and it was just amazing to watch this dog work and how accurate the dog was. It was just incredible and I just couldn't wait to talk to you guys today because after actually getting to see it and appreciate the impact that it was having on this individual, it was just it was fascinating. It was awe-inspiring. And I, I just can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing to train these dogs to work with people because the dog was alerting before her equipment, her glucometer was working. So it was really awesome just to see that, that the dog was ahead of the technology. Yeah, that's the client that you met actually has the most current version of a continuous glucose meter, um, the Dexcom G4, and the dog is easily 10 minutes ahead of that meter, which is really important to the client because it, it really helps her tightly control her diabetes. She's very, the client's very vigilant about her diabetes and does the best that she can with, with the technology, but she really benefits from having a dog who can uh, give her even more information than it can. Yeah, and she showed me that. She showed me how what the machine was reading and then how the dog was ahead of that. And then, like you said, 10 minutes later, the technology would catch up to the dog. <laughs> but the dog was way ahead of it. And she was telling me of how it had impacted her quality of life and how she was able to keep her blood sugar down because of those alerts that the dog was providing that really her blood sugar wasn't getting unmanageable any longer because she could totally manage it now because she had this incredible partner that was, was helping her and alerting her as to what was happening in her body. So I, I have to ask, Sue, how do you identify a dog and select that dog for alert work? 
Well, we look for a dog much like the one that you saw, um, one that's basically a workaholic. <laughs> um, that uh, that that loves to um, loves to work, loves to interact with people, um, loves to tell people things that they think they need to know, and is basically willing to be on the clock twenty four seven or or thereabouts and do that kind of uh, of work. Um, we need a dog that's not shy about about telling the person something. So dogs that are very reserved and won't you know and soft spoken, if you will, don't tend to do quite so well depending on the client. But this particular dog and dogs that we tend to pick are the, are the dogs that will keep, keep bugging you. If you're, if you're not listening, they'll keep on you and they'll keep tugging on your shirt strings or poking you, as you probably saw, um, until, yes. you are, until you get the message. Yes. And then also ones that are very interested in scent work, that are just intrinsically interested in using their nose to go through the world. Yeah, um, I have to say that when I um, we were visiting with the client and having a lovely conversation, she had just gotten there and I didn't know the dog, you know, so I had never met the dog and and she was fidgeting and she was, you know, wouldn't lay down. And I have to say, I was thinking, wow, that's not really like a service dog because Whistle, you know, was laying there by my wheelchair. And But I didn't realize that the dog was actually alerting her and she was ignoring the dog. And the dog was so persistent, as you've just described, and would not let her, you know, not pay attention. And then she was like, oh my gosh, the dog's trying to tell me. <laughs> and I'm not listening because I'm so enthralled in the conversation that we we were having and it was just so beautiful to see the persistence of the dog and how it really was not going to let her off the hook but it was so concerned that that she be notified so it was just it was remarkable and just so beautiful to see it in action well that becomes particularly important with diabetics who as their blood sugar goes lower and lower become less and less aware of things around them and less and less responsive, it really can be life-saving to have a dog that will continue to escalate their alerts until the person pays attention and, and eats something, takes care of their problem. Yeah, well, I, I saw it firsthand, so I, I hear what you're saying, and boy, you were right on, because then what happened was her blood sugar started plummeting you know, after it mm-hmm. went so high, and then it started plummeting, and so the dog started alerting that command to her, which was just, it was so phenomenal. And how do you train the dog for the alerts? Well, first off, use uh, the scent from diabetics um, when their blood sugar is going high or low. We have clients collect saliva, which turns out to contain scent that is specific, and it's different scent depending whether the, the client's going high or low. And we first train the dog to do an alert behavior. Um, the most common one, the one that you saw that we train is for the dog to poke the person with their nose, and that's usually a pretty effective way to get somebody's attention. And after that, we, we teach them to, and this is really something that Rita came up with that's very innovative, incredibly helpful, and is uh, not something that many trainers do but are starting to do. We train them to do two different signals, one signal for one behavior for high blood sugar. In, in many cases, we, uh, we anyway, and the dog that you saw is trained to sit when blood sugar is high. When blood sugar is going low, the dog is trained to lie down so that they can actually tell the person which, uh, which way their blood sugar is heading, which, as you saw, is really, really important. And uh, that's the short version. Do you, do you have anything you want to add, Rita? Uh, no, I think you covered it pretty well. I, I can't think of anything extra. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so phenomenal. You guys make it sound so simple, and it's just so phenomenal to see. And, and the impact that that can have on someone's quality of life is just 
it, it really is remarkable. So how do you think the dogs detect the changes in, in the blood sugar levels? And I know you said uh, saliva, but can you tell us, Rita, a little bit more about that, about how they really detect the elevation or, or decrease in the blood sugar? Well, science would love to have a machine that could give us an absolute answer as to what it is they're detecting. Anytime there is a chemical change in the body, it emits some sort of scent, just as seizures and many other things. You know, there are various scents other than garlic after, after an Italian meal. So obviously there is separate scents for high and low that the dog can detect. We don't know with our nose or our lack of electronic test equipment, we don't know precisely what it is that they're honing in on. We don't know if it's ketones or, or anything else, but they they seem to know the difference and they frequently are not as fond of the higher scent as they are the lower, so evidently they find it slightly offensive, which I would term as a human, meaning it, it evidently is stronger in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just have to wing it and use what we what we have and and go with that because no no equipment is available for us to to give a definitive answer. How do you find the dogs? I mean, are they? Do you breed the dogs specifically for this, or do you test any type of breed to see if they have the the skills? How do you really select dogs for these jobs? Well, it's an overall selection, as Sue kind of touched on there. First of all, you need a dog that's going to be appropriate for public access work, which is the biggest of all deals, because without that, they're not they're not going to make it anyway. I don't breed dogs, nor does Sue. We will go, I at least I personally go with, because I train privately, I go with clients and help them select a dog, depending on what they want in a dog, because everybody does not want a Labrador or a dog of that size. Many diabetics live in smaller areas or whatever or cannot physically handle a large dog and a diabetic alert dog does not have to be large. It just has to be tenacious in being a tattletale. So yeah. I, <laughs> so I evaluate all sorts of dogs. I have terriers. I even have a couple of chihuahuas, believe it or not all the way up to Great Pyrenees and Newfoundland. So it really depends on what a person wants to live with as well. But they do have to have a zeal for checking the world with their nose. Yeah, well, that's what I was wondering because it does seem like you have more opportunity to use different types of dogs based, as you said, based on the individual and what their needs are, which is really awesome that so many dogs have the ability. But I bet it is challenging, though, because for public access, you know, you have to have a dog that can behave and that can act properly or appropriately in public, but yet to have that kind of zeal and tenacity, you know, I bet that is a balancing act (laughs) of trying to, to get both of those. It is, and the public generally is not as open to different breeds being working dogs. They often assume that they are a pet that somebody is trying to pass off. 
Yeah, I can imagine that that would be an issue. I know the dog that I met was actually a, a Labrador, so it looked like, you know, in, in our minds of, of what we think of as a working dog, but I could see where if you have a Chihuahua or something that, that seems out of that. And it's so hard now as people are trying to, so many people try to pass off their pets as working dogs. It makes it hard when it really is an authentic dog that's very necessary for someone. It's very difficult and actually what people need to remember (laughs) with those that are trying to pass them off is that it is a federal offense. Yes, and it's life. It is a punishment. (laughs) Yes, yes, and I I know, and that's why people always, because I've had people ask me if they could borrow my working dog's vest, and I'm like, absolutely not. You don't understand. This is a very serious thing for so many people, and you doing that is jeopardizing our ability to have a dog out in public, and I just, I don't think we can ever do enough to educate people about that. And the difference between a pet and a true working dog and how they do so much to ensure the safety and well-being of their individual. Yes, they're lifesavers, really. Um, They are. They are. Well, we are going to take just a quick minute to hear some important messages from our sponsors. And we're going to come back and continue our conversation with Rita and Sue because we have a lot more questions we want to ask. So come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dog Shelter Blues, the new novel by Mark Conkling. This hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets. Struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. Read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com. Then come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Seeing, hearing, sensing, supporting, there's a dog for that. Did you know that assistance dogs include guide dogs, service dogs, hearing dogs, medical alert dogs, and even more? Celebrate International Assistance Dog Week, August 4th through August 10th. Organize or take part in an Assistance Dog Week event. For more information, visit assistancedogweek.org. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with authors and dog trainers, Rita Martinez and Sue Barnes, about their incredible new book, Training Your Diabetic Alert Dog. And before the break, we were just talking about some of the specifics that dogs need in order to be diabetic alert service dogs. And I, I was wondering, what other helpful skills do you train these these diabetic alert dogs to perform? Because I, I know you guys train them for additional things, right? Yes. Actually, many diabetics, I'll, I'll do this and then Sue can add her a little two cents. Many diabetics have additional issues. Some can actually have some hearing impairments. Some can have balance issues. Neurological damage is very common with 
with diabetics so the dogs can be trained as partial assistance dogs, partial hearing dogs, and so forth in addition to their diabetic work. That's wonderful. That's awesome. We, Go ahead, Sue. Also, you want to add? Oh, sure. Yeah, I was just going to say I was thinking along in a different vein um, just in terms of other skills involved in the diabetic alert work. We find out what people need in terms of their lives, how they need the dog to alert and so we teach them specific skills for alerting the person when they're driving or when they're asleep. If we're training a dog to help a child who can't, who needs a parent to actually come and help, we'll teach the dog to alert a parent and bring the parent to the child. Other dogs are trained to do things like bring juice boxes to the diabetic if their blood sugar is low, bring a test kit, a glucometer, to the person to let them know it's time to test. And uh, to ring bells if they're in the car, for instance, to let the person know that they need to check their blood sugar, um, other skills like that. That's awesome. Well, you just mentioned something, Sue, about the dogs working at night and in the car, because that seems so difficult. How do you train them and prepare them? I mean, do they really work 24 hours a day? Well, not not 24 hours, that's for sure. Dogs definitely need rest. Um, more than we do, and that actually can be challenging for some clients to find the time for their dogs to rest, and but definitely need their rest. We do training them to alert in the car is easy. It's dogs tend to be awake then, and and uh, we just teach them the mechanics of it. Alerting at night is more difficult, and it's it's often the last skill that the dogs will acquire, or the one that takes the most time. Um, Rita has come up with a wonderful system for teaching the dogs to sort of be more in tune at a subconscious level to the scent so that even when they're dozing, when we introduce it by playing with the dog first and getting them to notice the scent while they're in play mode and do alerts and then gradually introduce them the scent when they are more and more dozing kind of thing, just teaching them to wake up to it. Much like we learn, you know, a parent learns to listen for their child crying in the night they, you know, might have slept through some other kid crying in the night or some other sounds, but they they learn at a subconscious level to listen for that sound and wake up. So we teach the dogs to to use their noses to to sniff for that smell at a subconscious level and wake up to it. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, as I said, you two make this sound so easy. It's, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> but well, it's just... I have to say that one of the things that I feel makes it easy, I think what we do actually is easy. What always astonishes me is how much the dogs teach themselves. I'm not diabetic, so when I train dogs, um, all I have are little samples of spit in a tube from a diabetic. But the work that you saw doing, that the dog was doing the other day, is a whole lot of what she taught herself. My blood sugar, I could not teach her to respond to rising and falling blood sugar levels because I only have samples taken at a particular blood sugar level. Um, She taught herself all that stuff. She fills in, um, and the dogs all do. They all fill in. They find out what the client particularly needs. It's an incredible thing to watch, and it and it makes our job look great and <laughs> and relatively easy. <laughs> it it is, as you said, it is incredible to watch. It's miraculous. I mean, I've been around working dogs for over twenty years, but never a medical alert dog, and it was just phenomenal. I was just so excited to see it, and and I have to ask, how does someone get? a diabetic alert dog, if they need it or want it for a family member, what should they do, Rita? What should be their first steps of trying to find a dog? 
or a program? Well, there are organizations that are producing some fine dogs. Certainly not enough of them. There's always more call for dogs than there are dogs available. But I would suggest that people, particularly those that would not be capable of training their own dog, because everybody isn't physically able to do that, that they connect with a bona fide good organization. Certainly Assistance Dogs of the West is one of the great ones. And they are in touch with many others as well that, you know, they can refer back and forth. Uh, I would suggest that they not just go on the Internet and believe everything that they see in a lovely website that <laughs> that may or may not be a real bona fide time behind them assistance dog, service dog organization. Lots of things are springing up, sadly, because there seems to be money involved. <laughs> so one has to do their due diligence and really check on places. Then there are some private trainers that are able to work with people privately. Yeah, that was my next question, Rita, is because people ask me that all the time. They don't want to go through an organization. They want to find someone to work with them directly. How do they really go about finding a trainer? Well, sadly, there aren't enough of them out there yet. Uh, that's why I'm kind of doing a, a very expanding scale of a mentoring program to try and get more trainers qualified to do this. Actually, due diligence, uh, finding somebody that has done other service dog work, uh, not necessarily th- just someone that has done search and rescue because that is a whole different thing Yeah. from a medical alert dogs are not search dogs. So it's very difficult to really find a, a private trainer in many areas. Some metropolitan areas will have one, but you know, if, if you're in a rural portion of the United States, your chances aren't real good. That's why we wrote the book in the hopes that it could be used by somebody that had done other service dog work and would have the public access knowledge to hopefully be able to work their way through the book and and certainly send us questions as they come up. Is there an organization that trainers belong to? I, I know there's Assistance Dogs International that is a good resource for people for looking for organizations, but is there a go-to organization like that for trainers? There is the CPDT, or, well, CPDT is better than APDT, which is a certification board for, for trainers so that they have basic knowledge of learning theory and so forth with dogs, but it has nothing to do with service dogs. So there actually is not an organization that they can ever... Yeah, that's what's so hard. It is very difficult. What does CPDT stand for? Oh, boy. Now you're going to have to... I told you to it, but I just was curious because, you know... Certified Professional Dog Trainer. It's a certification program, pretty rigorous one actually, that requires both uh, assessment of a trainer's knowledge and basically a, a thorough assessment of a trainer's knowledge for both training and behavior. So it's a it's a certification process yeah, by an independent agency, having nothing yeah. to do with with other things. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I just wondered because I know our listeners will probably want to Google that. So that's right. why I was wondering what it stood for because I can't tell you how many emails and calls I get a week of people looking for trainers that they can work with and they just don't know where to go because there is no one resource or one website that, that has all that information. There isn't. And I would like to touch just briefly on the fact that many people come and want to train their current dog. And it, that often is not an appropriate dog. Uh, and they need to be mindful that it takes a, a special dog 
to be a service dog. So it needs to be properly evaluated by somebody that, that can do that. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Sue, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I'm here at my computer and, and pulled up the website so and so people don't have to Google. It's the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers, and their website is ccpdt.org, which stands for Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. And they have a page where you can search for training for a trainer and that are, that's certified, and that's a good place to start. But again, as Rita said, you further would really like to have a trainer that's not only a good dog trainer but has uh, experienced training service dogs, and so that's definitely something to ask of any trainer that you are interested in. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I just wrote that website down myself. I'll definitely keep that handy for people because it is a, a constant question. And I want to ask you, getting back to the diabetic alert dog training, how long does it usually take for you to train a dog and have it ready to be placed with someone? Let's see. Usually, usually it's about six months and the scent training itself is actually pretty quick don't seem to have too much trouble doing that. It's much quicker than the training for public access work and that sort of thing. Um, The dogs get the scent training really quick and they really enjoy it so it goes quickly. So typically I only spend about six months on it and then the dog, if if everything else is ready, is ready to be placed. That's wonderful. That's pretty quick. And do you usually have dogs in the public access training piece? I I know assistance dogs are the West, but Rita, if you're working with an individual, how do you build in that public access training? Well, I do it all at once, but in the private sector that I have with training dogs, the dog is actually living with the person that's doing the training, so it does take a little longer. The dog will be alerting certainly at six months and so forth, but will not be done with its public access work. So it takes a year or more depending on how much time they have for their homework and so forth. <laughs> um, but I build them both. I, I do it all kind of simultaneously just to add variety to the training as well as people come to me with, with dogs that, that have never done any public access type of work before, so they need to concentrate an awful lot on that. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, teaching a dog to be still for a long period of time, I can only imagine how difficult that is. Yeah. Because, when they're still a puppy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, I, well, I'm on my third dog now. Whistle is my third, and I'm always amazed when I get the new one and they're two years old usually, how energetic they are. It's so different after being with that older dog that's been with me for so long and we're so in sync. But I'm just amazed at the training for these young ones that are full of energy of how they can contain themselves in public and and really have that public access, which, as you said, is just so important. And I I wanted to ask you, and Sue, you can start and Rita, you can fill in about how do you work with clients to troubleshoot any difficulties that they may have after they go home or out working in public with their dog for a while? Do you see any difficulties that need to be um, worked on or corrected? How do you deal with that? Well, yeah, definitely we do a lot of follow-up with the client, um, especially to fine-tune the alerting and the signaling. Like I said, I'm not a diabetic, so when I train the dog, I can take them to a certain level of alerting and so forth, but then transferring it to the person and their lifetime, their lifestyle, their 
real-time high and low blood sugars. The dog really has to has to go through a whole other learning process. So I do lots of follow-up for many months after the placement. Um, I ask people to give me their blood sugar records and keep track of the dog's alerting so that we can see if there are any holes in the alerts. Does the dog not alert consistently in the car, for instance? And if that's the case, then we work more on car alerts. Or does the dog not have the signals down, you know, give the correct signals for high and low, then we, and then I help them coach, coach them on how to work for, on that. So those kinds of things. There's a lot, there's a fair bit of fine tuning that goes on. And in terms of post placement work, it's, it's considerably more labor intensive than other types of service dogs that we place. Yeah, I would agree with that. And Rita, did you want to add anything to that? Yes, I typically, and I know Assistance Dogs at West does as well, certify the dogs when they are ready to, to be certified. And I insist that they do at least 12 hours a year of work to continue their <laughs> keeping their skills up. Uh, and they have to retest annually on their public access work, which tends to get a little muddy because it's not nearly as much fun to practice. <laughs> uh, yes. What, what I would just mention uh, is that many organizations do not place dogs way out of their territory on purpose so that they can track like this. So if somebody is online and, and sees an organization that will, without any home check or face-to-face meeting, send a dog across the country, it is a huge yellow flag because we can't keep their skills up if we never see them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you brought up a great point. I mean, I know for myself or Whistle and myself, we have to constantly be working to make sure that we're maintaining our public access skills and all of the skills of all the, the physical commands that he does for me. If we don't practice them, then we get rusty. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine what that would be like for a diabetic alert dog of how they have to really maintain those skills. And, and you know, people are they think that dogs are robots, but they're not, and it, it's work. You have to, uh, you know, my responsibility is I have to continually work with Whistle to make sure that we're a good functioning team, and that's a, a part of the process, too, to get people to really understand what it means to have a working dog in their life. It's a commitment. It definitely is, and dogs are great manipulators, so they tend to, just a little bit at a time, change things just a little, (laughs) (laughs) until suddenly you realize it's not what it was. (laughs) Yes, yes. I I wonder if Whistle's ears are perking up. Yes, because, (laughs) yes, he tries to convince me of things all the time. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) I, I often laugh, and I say training is really just a test of which one of you is the best manipulator. (laughs) <laughs> That's wonderful. I love that. That is, uh, I have to agree with that. Well, I just can't thank you two enough for being with us today and for sharing your incredible work. I mean, the book is just wonderful. It is just such a great resource. And I hope that people, especially people who are training dogs, will, will get it. And anyone who's interested in a diabetic alert dog is just a must read. And tell us before we go, how can people get the book? It's available on Amazon.com. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Well, we hope that people will go to Amazon and order that and and definitely benefit from all the wonderful information that you guys have included. So thank you so much. And we also want to thank you, our listeners, for being with us. And we love hearing from you. So please keep those emails coming. 
And don't hesitate to let us know your thoughts or questions. And we also want to thank our sponsors for supporting Working Like Dogs. And remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and read our blog at workinglikedogs.com. So take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.